What is up, Balling in the Six listeners? This has been a quick four-day turnaround from ourselves since the last podcast. This is, of course, we want to keep up to date with this frantic and hectic schedule in the NBA currently, leading up to the playoffs, which are going to start this weekend. And, and fortunately, this week, we're going to be without our main host, Kamel, and it will be led by yours truly, the uh, assistant uh, host, let's call myself. And uh, without further ado, let's just jump into these Raptors games because the Raptors, since our last podcast, participated in three of these NBA regular season bubble games. And it was, let's say, uh, a mixed bag, despite how well the last two games went. We're going to start off with the blowout that was the Celtics game. If we are to purely look at the final score, 122 to 100 doesn't actually seem like uh, a massive blowout. It doesn't seem like the kind of result that the Raptors can't bounce back from. However, it is actually quite deceptive because the Raptors were down by 40 points at one stage in this game. And it was only due to the efforts of the bench in the fourth quarter that they were actually able to pull the score back and make it look more respectable than it was because this game was a spanking, plain and simple. It revealed to me a flaw in this team that I think has kind of consisted for quite a while but has usually been papered over uh, by another aspect of the Raptors game. And despite the ambiguous description I just gave, I'll explain what I mean by this. The starting five for this Raptors team are all liable to have uh, subpar games. Uh, They've all at some stage in their career been known as somewhat streaky players, uh, even some of the bench players. But if we look at the starting five, um, Lowry at earlier periods, especially during his playoff career, he would have very substandard games. Same with Fred last year. He, um, you know, he had that rather horrific stretch of shooting. Um, Mark Gasol doesn't really have uh, many bad games, but there are games that on the offensive end, he doesn't really have much of an impact when it comes to scoring the ball. Um, and the same for Pascal Siakam as well. As a player who's trying to fill this superstar role, sometimes he, um, because he's not still quite accustomed to it, he does have these substandard games. And on this particular night, it so happened to be a game where not a single one of the starters stepped up and they were thoroughly bashed around by the starting five of the Celtics who... Bar Hayward, who ended up with nine points but still shot the ball efficiently, all scored in double digits. And uh, just watching this game, I mean, it seemed like they were completely uh, out of ideas. Uh, Nobody really wanted to take control of of the offense and to run it. And um, what has been a saving grace for this team has not only been their bench, but the fact that their defense has stepped up because even if you look at these bubble games, there have been games where the Raptors uh, haven't put up uh, a gargantuan number of points, but every single time their defense managed to step up and stop the opposition. However, in this game, it was not the case with Boston shooting and forty nine percent from the floor. Although the Raptors did limit them to thirty five percent from three, uh, which is below their. Uh, normal average uh, for the Celtics but um, you know nonetheless uh, 
in a lot of these games in the bubble, the Raptors have looked like the best defensive team in the NBA, um, frequently limiting opposing teams to less than even 40% from the field and sometimes less than 30% from free. So this was just a combination of uh, their defense not being as elite as it has been, uh, not just, again, in the bubble, but actually the whole regular season. And their, st- their starters also not showing up offensively, which is why uh, with this mixture, you ended up getting the blowout di- that you did. However, I also don't think that it's uh, a time to panic. The Raptors haven't looked this poor, really, at any stage of this bubble. And if you want them to have this kind of blip, I want to call it, at any stage, you want them to have it now, especially against this Boston team that uh, at the moment looks like uh, are going to be the Raptors' second-round opponents in the playoffs. You'd rather have uh, this kind of disaster in the regular season as opposed to when that second round begins. And so I don't think the Raptors will be totally disheartened, but it should be a nice little warning uh, bell for them just to show them that, you know, uh, despite how well that they've been playing, um, there's still room for improvement for this team. We'll move on quickly to the next game against the Grizzlies, which was honestly a game that was completely all over the place. The Grizzlies turned the ball over 22 times, and somehow the Raptors bested this with 25 turnovers. Uh, it was a scrappy affair, and although the Raptors did, you know, uh, shoot the ball fairly well. Uh, they almost shot it for 50% from the field, 38% from the three. If you actually watch the game, it was honestly, so much of it was off the back of Pascal, who uh, ended up scoring 26 points, uh, shot 9 of 16 from the field and 4 of 9 from three. If Pascal wasn't showing up on the offensive end, I think this game would have, and frankly, should have been a lot closer than it was. And this was against a Grizzlies team that's still adjusting to the loss of Jaron Jackson with uh, Anthony Tolliver now moving to the four or to the starting four position. And so, I mean, Raptors fans looking at this game would have expected, you know, maybe a 20, 25, 30 point blowout. And so this game was a lot closer than it should have been. And it again, it was due to really the Toronto defence that they were able to pull away with this victory and they looked far from convincing all game long. Now we come to the bright spot of the last few games for Toronto, which was of course the game against the Bucks yesterday where Raptors did come out on top and although the starters... Uh, of both teams, you know, had a rest, whether this be sitting out the game entirely or uh, playing reduced minutes, this game was still a game of importance, in my opinion, because what it showed was that this Raptors depth and bench that we've been praising and heralding all season long will hopefully pull this team through when they, again, in my opinion, match up with the Bucks in the conference finals. Some of the highest performing players for this Raptors team during this game were actually players who have played very limited minutes in this bubble. And in particular, Matt Thomas 
has been a player that Kamel has been clamouring for uh, all this period for him to be uh, getting some more extended minutes. And guess who was the minutes leader in this game? It was Matt Thomas himself playing 37 minutes. He ended up with 22 points, 4 of 8 from three point, uh, from the three-point line. And when you looked at his performance, uh, what was eye-catching for me is not the fact that he shot the ball well, because we've always said he's an excellent shooter, but this 26-year-old rookie, who's not exactly blessed with athleticism, was taking on every single defensive matchup that came his way. There was one particular defensive position where he, I believe, ended up switching on to three different Milwaukee players, and he was trying to defend Robin Lopez in the post, and he was doing it with a defensive ferocity and intensity that was that was inspiring. I'm sure the, sure the rest of his teammates saw this because, again, he's not blessed with the physical tools as much as his teammates are. But mentally, he was just playing with, again, such a high tempo that it was just great to see. And uh, I would say this for the rest of this, you know, uh, was matched and mirrored by the rest of the team. Of course, Chris Boucher was the uh, leading scorer in this game with 25 points. And uh, we've spoken about how terrific his defence was uh, when he played during the regular season. And it showed in this game with two steals and two blocks as well. Norm Powell as well ended up with 21 points. He was 4-5 from the three-point line. Uh, You also had two steals and three blocks. So you had an all-around spectacular performance from Norm Powell as well. And that's why this game was so special to see because it was completely carried by uh, role players for this team. Again, Terence Davis also stepped up and had a great game. Um, And when you look at it from the Milwaukee side, Milwaukee essentially played everyone bar Yanis in this game. And so the fact that they... I would argue they got blown out because, again, they brought things back in the fourth quarter a bit. But the momentum was with the Raptors uh, through three quarters of this game. And this team, without Yanis, not just on the offensive end, but also the defensive end, just doesn't look the same. This team shot 39% from the field and 32% from three. A team that has been shooting tremendously from the three-point line all season long. And... What does this say? It shows that this team doesn't generate the same type of shots without Yanis in the team. Although they were shooting three-pointers, a lot of them were contested and very difficult three-pointers. And most of their three-pointers are generated from uh, Yanis driving to the lane and kicking out to a wide-open shooter. And they just didn't have those same types of shots. And understandably, as a result of this, they shot the ball far more poorly than they usually would do. And so hopefully we see this kind of trend repeating in the playoffs. Whenever Yanis is not on the court, the opposition team, and in particular the Raptors, should look at this as a major opportunity to inflict damage on the Bucks. Now when we take a dive into the rest of the NBA, one team we must talk about is the Phoenix Suns because we've discussed them to some extent, in this Western Conference playoff picture, but we haven't really done a fully-fledged analysis. So we need to discuss this team, especially 
off the back of their six-game win streak and the fact that they are still the only undefeated team in this bubble. And if you look at their fixtures, it's by no means been a walk in the park. They had two close victories over the Dallas Mavericks and Clippers, uh, which were both um, 117 to 115. They've beaten the OKC Thunder, the Pacers and Miami. The only team that can be considered an easy game was their first win against the Wizards. What's even more spectacular about this run of theirs is outside of those two games that I just mentioned, all the other games were essentially blowouts, uh, for the most part by 10 points or more. And that's outside the Miami Heat game, whereby Miami, um, although it was a fairly close game, uh, you could tell that the Suns were actually a cut above. But this is also due in part to uh, Miami Heat having a lot of injuries for that game as well. But that aside, the Suns have looked spectacular. And why has that been the case? Well, uh, Devin Booker has been part of the media narrative. Oh, it's just Devin Booker carrying the team on his back. Yes, that is a big part of it. Devin uh, Booker, during that stretch, had some unbelievable games. Uh, he's averaging over 25 points a game. He's just He's looked unbelievable. But... It's about the fact that the rest of those players have stepped up when you're comparing them to their regular season averages. Ricky Rubio is shooting 40% from free. And although he's not going to maintain that over a large stretch of games, nonetheless, he's still been shooting better from the three-point line at 35% than he has been in uh, other seasons. So he's really stepped up his game during this bubble. Who else? You've got Cam Johnson, who's had to play some starting minutes. He's... Um, I believe he's stepped up his points per game by about three or four points. Same can be said for Macau Bridges as well. So this Suns team, as a team, have all stepped up. It hasn't just been Booker. When you look at this team, there is an emphasis on team ball as well. Although Devin Booker is taking a lot of isolation shots as well. Um, they're also using Aiton very effectively within the offense. Um, getting the ball down to him in the post, he's um, been averaging a double-double. He's been averaging 20 and 10 in the bubble, so he's been dominant down there. But even if he's not getting points in the paint, he's been very effective at passing the ball to the perimeter as well. And to cap off how impressive this run by the Suns has been, they've had two of their starters as well. One of, uh, one of their starters and one of their sixth men, uh, which is Aaron Baines who've been injured during the entire bubble. And so if you bring back Kelly Oubre and Aaron Baines into the fold, if, and this is a big if, if this team actually makes the eighth seed, they could actually, in my opinion, cause a problem for the Lakers. That doesn't mean that, you know, I still don't have the Lakers winning, but I don't think uh, we'll be getting any brooms out. It's not Quidditch time. I think it would be like maybe a 4-1 or 4-2 win. Um, again, the Suns' synergy has just been on a level level. So, moving past the Suns, we'll look at some of the other teams that are fighting for that eighth seed. So, firstly, the Memphis Grizzlies, who uh, managed to actually register their first win of the bubble. But that is with a giant asterisk, because the they did it so against the OKC, and the OKC were missing four of their top five scorers in that game. And... Um, the fact that, you know, you had Dort uh, being one of their main scorers in that game, 
um, although he did shoot the three ball very effectively in that game, uh, really tells you how short-handed this OKC team was. And when you look at the Grizzlies, their last two games are against the Celtics and the Bucks, And they are a game in front of the Phoenix Suns um, and the Spurs, and they're half a game in front of the Portland Trailblazers. And how they do and whether they make that eighth seed or that ninth seed really depends on what kind of lineups the Celtics and Bucks will have. Because I'm not so sure that the Celtics will play their best team. Because all they, although they did so, for example, uh, against the Raptors, um, they did so in their latest game as well. The Celtics have been playing their, their, you know, their best team against other very, very good teams. But if they, they might choose not to do so against a team like the Suns because you know, they're not worried about playing them in the NBA Finals. So it's not an important matchup for them. And of course, the Celtics have secured the third seed, and they have no possibility of moving up to the second team seed. So um, I do see them against a Memphis Grizzlies team, a team who are, they are unlikely to play in the NBA Finals. I do see them resting, uh, you know, the likes of Jason Tatum, the likes of Jalen Brown, who've played heavier minutes during the bubble, and you know, playing them maybe around twenty minutes in their remaining games, um, and so. If that is the case, the Grizzlies definitely have a chance against the Celtics. And indeed, the Celtics, oh, sorry, the Grizzlies also have a chance against a uh, Yanis-less Bucks team as well, which would be the fi- their final game. As we saw um, in the Raptors-Bucks game, that the Bucks do look vulnerable when Yanis is not uh, playing at all in the game. However, with all this being said, I do actually see the Grizzlies losing both of these games. And so I think that they may even slip out of the ninth seed and end up as the 10th seed. We'll then move on to the Portland Trailblazers, who, of course, um, when you just look at the results, although they've been up and down, this Trailblazers team has been extremely competitive during this whole uh, bubble Yusuf Nurkic has looked great on his comeback. He's slowly finding his feet. And the team is just playing with uh, a lot more chemistry uh, than they were uh, pre-bubble. Uh, it's not just... They're not just completely relying on McCollum and Lillard to put up points for the team. And, um, you know, this is seen in their results. In their last four games, uh, they beat the Rockets. They beat the Nuggets. They beat the 76ers with their only loss coming against that Clippers team. And I have to bring up this Clippers game and that beef between Dane Dollar and PG3 after the game. This Clippers team is the most unlikable set of characters. My One of my personal favourite players, well, my favourite player, in fact, is Marcus Smart. And although Marcus Smart, you know, he has a reputation for flopping, he can also get on the nerves of the opposition, I believe Marcus plays hard and goes at 100% every night. Where the distinction with Patrick Beverly is, is that Marcus Smart does all of his talking on the court. You see the fire and the intensity that he gives through his actions, not through you know his mouth, through his words. And that's the difference with Patrick Beverly, first and foremost. Patrick Beverly gives a lot of talk, gives a lot of chat. Of course, he is a player that does play with a high intensity, but why Patrick Beverly 
irritates me. You know, he's been labelled as an irritant. is because he's also a dirty player, in my opinion. He doesn't just get into the faces of opposition and yaps off. I don't mind a bit of trash talk. To be honest, I'd like to see more trash talk come back. But he's also just, in my opinion, it seems if in that in the past he has looked to injure certain players. He's made really, really dangerous plays. And I think that's what sets him apart from other players who play hard. He's just, in my opinion, a dirty player. And why... He pisses me off so much. It's why Sergio Ramos pisses me off so much. Because it's almost as if they all always try to take out the star player on the other team through some sort of uh, dirty means. That's why he pisses me off so much. And that's why I liked it so much when Dame clapped back his immature antics. When he was just laughing and clapping on the bench. When he's laughing and clapping like that and throwing up gang signs. It just seems like it's incredibly immature. Because... The game was not over at that point, and when you're taking it that like lightly, they missing those shots, it kind of, it, it almost would make your team maybe take their foot off the gas because they think, oh, now the game's won now that he's missed these free throws. Um, I just didn't like to see it at all. Like the game was still going on. Um, it wasn't to get just to get into Dame's head. He could have done that by being sarcastic and mouthing off, but he was literally messing around for like two minutes then when he wasn't even on the floor like it was just ridiculous I thought it was really childish it wasn't getting in Dame's head it more likely it was just pissing him off so he tried even harder um and yeah it's I think it would have a negative impact on his team as well because they're just going to be more complacent than they otherwise would be and it's not just Patrick Beverly it's this whole team they're just a bunch of idiots in my opinion uh, you had Lou Williams getting spotted in a club. Uh, Paul George constantly being spotted at bloody strip clubs. You even saw Kawhi at a strip club, which shows how detrimental an influence these guys are having on Kawhi. Like, Kawhi at a strip club is not something that should be happening. So, although I still have them as my favourites for the championship, this Clippers team, I know I've gone off on a massive tangent on them. Um, the reason why I'm sceptical about them has got nothing to do with their talent. It's their attitude and mentality. It doesn't seem to me that they're taking it seriously enough. They're clowning around too much. And I hope they sort themselves out by the time the playoffs roll around. Now, that Mavericks game is going to be a difficult game. Because although they haven't looked spectacular in the bubble, they've gone 3-3. Three and three. When you actually delve in deeper into it... Um, all of their games have been very, very competitive. They lost against the Rockets, of course, in that thriller, that 153 to 149 point game, which is, again, I would recommend everyone who watches at least the highlights of that game. It was uh, such a fun watch. Uh, they lost by two to the Suns. They've beaten the Bucks and the Jazz, so they've still looked very good. And um, yeah, especially KP, especially, is, seems like he's more and more so grown into his role as the uh, second player for this team this Mavs game is going to be very tricky especially because they're actually a game within the Jazz and the Jazz are to play the Spurs who I'll go on to later but what it means is that this Trailblazers game for the Mavericks is a huge game it might mean they end up the Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs as the sixth seed as opposed to playing the Clippers as the seventh seed so they will be going all out against the Trailblazers. So that is going to be a huge game. That's actually going to be um, at 11.30 tonight, which is when I'm recording this episode. So 
by the time this episode is out, it, that game may have already happened. Um, so that's going to be a hard, difficult game for the Trailblazers. However, um, their last game um, is considerably easier against the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets have now secured their place in the playoffs as the seventh seed. So they really haven't got much to play for. And although they've looked pretty good, I think... Uh, the Trailblazers will be desperate to win that game, and I see them coming out with a win there. The Spurs. Now, the Spurs have by far and away exceeded expectations. I've talked about in another, an earlier podcast which players have stepped up, but you know it's really their young core, and I'm not really going to delve too much into um, which players have exactly shone. I've already discussed that in a previous podcast, so I will check that one out. But when we look at just their remaining two games, so again... At the time of this recording, they're actually in a game against the Rockets and they're up by six at the end of the first quarter. So I'll probably be catching the second half of that game. Um, So that's a game that I would have thought would have been a very difficult win because, again, that's a huge game for the Rockets as well. So I do actually see them losing that game. And their game, their last game, which might determine whether they make these playoffs, is against the Jazz. And this is huge for both teams. The Jazz need to win this, like I said, to make sure they don't slip to the seventh seed and end up playing the Clippers. They'd much rather play the Nuggets, or either the Nuggets or the Rockets. And again, for the Spurs, this might be make or break. This might be their only opportunity to make the playoffs if they beat this Jazz team. But um, realistically, the only way that the Spurs uh, Spurs that are actually going to make these playoffs as if they win both of these games against the Rockets and the Jazz because the um, Suns actually have the percentage tiebreaker over the Spurs. So the Spurs need to finish with the best record out of the Suns and the Trailblazers and hope, of course, the Grizzlies lose both their games as well to have any sort of chance. So the Spurs realistically need to win both games and I don't think they are capable of doing so. So to wrap things up, because I believe this 8th seed fight is probably the most interesting thing to commentate on as of now. We'll talk about seedings probably in the next episode. Um, by the time, and by that time, the regular season would have actually concluded. I do believe that we will see the Suns versus the Trailblazers as the 8th, ninth seed playoff game. And I think the Trailblazers will actually be the 8th seed so they'll have the upper hand there and therefore I see them overcoming this Suns side despite how good the Suns have looked in the bubble. So that'll wrap things up for this episode. We had a quick look at uh, the last few games for the Raptors and who I think is going to triumph in this battle for the 8th seed in the West. I hope you guys have enjoyed it and next episode We'll be back to our normal format with myself and Kamel.